The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to the Jewish crowds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. This weekend, we celebrate the Feast of Corpus Christi, the body and blood of our Lord, recognizing one of those great mysteries of the faith, that what we celebrate here is indeed the body and blood of Christ, not a mere sign or a symbol. <coughs> Excuse me. Indeed, it's easy for us sometimes to believe in the Eucharist, and other times not. Whenever I was first coming into the faith, I was practically atheist, so I didn't really have a belief in God or anything religious whatsoever. So becoming Catholic, saying that God existed, if God exists, was just as easy for all kind of things to be on the table, especially the Eucharist. So if they say that there's a God out there, then if he wants to come in what looks like bread, okay. And it was just kind of that easy for me. I didn't understand it. I still don't, but I believe it, because the faith tells me so. But it's understandable for us to have doubts sometimes, to wrestle with understanding what is the Eucharist? What is this miraculous bread, it seems, that we receive? And this is not a new thing to us. This is something that's been questioned since the first days of the church. Indeed, in many ages, over and over again, they've given explanations and defenses of the Eucharist even from the first days of the church. And so it's a recognition that indeed we do have some doubts within our hearts sometimes, a struggle to express our faith. Whenever I was younger, whenever I was a teenager and when I was in a seminary, it was easy for me, again, to believe in the Eucharist, to be able to look up and to see that when the priest prayed the prayer of consecration, that the host became Christ. Even when the friends of mine, who I knew were ordained priests, whenever they prayed the prayer of consecration, I looked up and I saw my friend offering Mass. And it was beautiful. It was a joy to see. But something strange happened whenever I was ordained. One day I was, I was offering Mass, and this was about the first week of my priesthood. And I held up the host. And whereas every other time in other, every other Mass that I attended, the words came to my lips, My Lord and my God, that ancient prayer of St. Thomas, 
This time, as I looked up at my own hands were holding the host, the only words that came to mind were, Really? Really? I was shocked. Really, I was, I was scandalized by myself offering Mass. Because I know myself. And it surprised me, it shocked me, it, it scandalized me that God would come in the Eucharist in my hands, at my voice. Really? Me? It made sense for everyone else. But me? It didn't change that. It's not that I had doubts. It was just surprise, shock. I think that would be normal for a priest to have that experience. Indeed, many priests even struggle with doubt in the Eucharist. There was a priest one time in a city called Lanciano over in Italy, and he himself was wrestling with belief in the Eucharist, struggling to understand it. Is it real? Or is it just merely a sign? And so he knew this. He was, he was taking this to prayer and he was bringing this to the Lord. And he was asking the Lord to increase his faith. And so he was offering Mass in a community. And he prayed the prayer of consecration over the, the host and the chalice. And unlike every other Mass where the bread stayed in the same appearance of bread, the wine stayed in the same appearance of wine, it changed this time. And what was bread turned into what looked like flesh. And what was wine turned into blood. It wasn't like blood, it was blood. And the priest, I would have just dropped, <laughs> dropped on the spot and just passed out, if not died on the spot of shock. But the priest, gathering his wits about him, turned around to the congregation and breaking with the normal protocol of Mass, he turned around and looked at the communion and he said... My brothers and sisters, dear friends, a miracle has happened. Come and see. And they walked up to the altar. Entire congregation went up to be able to see this miracle that had taken place. That it was actual literal flesh on the altar and literal blood in the chalice. The priest's faith in the Eucharist was restored immediately. And many came to see it. They preserved it in a little case, a little glass case. To be able to try to keep it as a, a, an object of veneration. To recognize the miracle that had taken place. And to have people come and to worship the Eucharist. And increase their devotion to the Eucharist in the course of the years. And indeed it happened. Most of the times whenever we experience something such as blood or flesh. Whenever it comes, it decays within a few days if it doesn't have life. We all know that if you hit an animal on the side of the road. You drive by a few days later. It's well on its way to decay. And a couple of weeks later, it may as well not even have been there. But the crazy thing about this flesh and this blood that was transformed on this altar is that it remains there 1,300 years later. Still there. Still to be venerated. Still to be worshipped. Sitting there in the church, just on the same altar that it was 1,300 years ago. To be venerated by the faithful. Of course over the centuries they did various tests. To be able to, to see if it was indeed real. To see what took place. Because the church we don't like to just accept things on faith. We like to test it a bit. To make sure that things are what they say they are. And so they tested it. And they found something interesting about the blood. 
the blood in that moment and the, through the course of the years, it kind of it, it coagulated a bit. And it formed what were essentially five pellets. I, I presume they're kind of like raisins. So these five pellets were formed of the precious blood. And these pellets were taken and they went and they placed them on scales. And there were five pellets. When you put all five pellets on the scale, they weighed just as much as if you placed one. And if you took off two, it weighed the same. If you added one, it weighed the same. No matter how many of one, two, three, four, or five pellets on the scale, they all weighed the same. The weight was always consistent, regardless. Maybe their scale was off, huh? But regardless, they continued to draw many, many people to be able to come express the faith. And to manifest their faith in the Eucharist in this little church. In 1970, they decided to give it a new test. With new technology, they could, they could get better information. And the scientists took a small fragment of the host. And they took a piece of the blood. And they submitted it to contemporary tests of the day. And they discovered that the, the flesh that was from the host was human flesh. And it was heart muscle from the inside of the heart. And the crazy thing, it was still alive. It was still fresh. The doctors looked at it and they said, if, you hadn't, if I hadn't known any better about where this came from, I would think that you had just taken a cadaver and, and brought a piece of the heart muscle in here for me to look at. Fresh from someone who had just died. 1,300 years later. They took a portion of the blood and they submitted it to the regular test as well. And they said it would seem as if it would just pulled from a vial. Because all the things that blood should have in it when it was freshly drawn were present there. Those things would typically decay. After, even after just a few days, there would begin a, a, a type of decay. And yet, 1,300 years later, still there. Still intact. Still fresh. All of that is simply to drive home the point that what we celebrate in every single Mass, whether we see it with our eyes or we have to experience it with the eyes of our faith, the simple truth is that what takes place on this altar is not a sign, it's not a symbol, it's not a nice memory of something that happened 2,000 years ago, it's not us getting together to kind of reenact something as if it was taking place. It's a reality, absolute reality. What happens on this altar and what you receive in your mouth is the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. And if that doesn't surprise you a little bit, let that sink in a more. Because it should shock us. It should shock us. We should be like the Jews today when hearing Jesus, when he says, I will give you my flesh and my blood. And they go, how is this man going to give us his flesh and his blood? Are we to be cannibals? Are we going to eat his literal flesh and blood? If you read the rest of that chapter, many of them left that day. Many of them, that was too much for them. They can't be his flesh and his blood. He can't give us those things. He's crazy, clearly. I'm gone. And they left. And the thing is, Jesus didn't go back and try to soften the words. He didn't say, no, it's just a sign, it's just a symbol. He said, my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you do not have life. Period. Very clear reality. And the fact that early church knew the same. 
St. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11, which is a little bit different section of what we read for our second reading today, St. Paul drives home the point that the Eucharist is real and it has power. It has power for good or for ill. St. Paul, he writes, and he says in regards to the Eucharist, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so eat of the the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. Some of you have even died. The Eucharist is not a sign or a symbol, again, Because if it was a sign or a symbol, we could take and do whatever we desire with it. We could take the host and do all kinds of crazy things and nothing would result. We could eat a thousand hosts today and nothing would happen bad for us if it's just a sign or a symbol. But if we eat of it unworthily, it causes weakness, illness, and even death. Symbols don't do that. Realities do. And so St. Paul bids us be aware of how serious the Eucharist really is, to be able to receive of it in a worthy manner, as we're supposed to, to be able to recognize who it is that we receive. When it comes to the church, every one of us knows we have lots of rules. We love rules, regulations, paperwork, forms, and all these kinds of things. But it's interesting to me that in regards to the Eucharist, the rules are rather few. So important, is it? The rules are essentially four. To receive the Holy Eucharist, one must be Catholic. Period. One must be Catholic. And when we say that, it seems like it can easily be kind of rude to other people of other faiths. It could be that we are not accepting of them, that we reject them, that we don't want to be connected with them or any kind of thing like that. It can seem, again, very rude, very harsh. But the reality is quite the opposite. One must be Catholic because communion means that we have the same practice of faith, that we have the same belief, that we live what we are. And so for one to come who is not Catholic, who does not share our belief, particularly in the Eucharist, and to come and to receive, if we permit them to do so, we permit them to eat and drink judgment upon themselves. That's not mercy. (laughs) To be merciful is to say, this is not good for you. You don't recognize who it is that we have in front of us. You don't recognize the Christ that is ours. Because only Catholics believe that it is the Eucharist is truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity continuously. Others see it more as a sign. So we say, if you don't recognize what's taking place in front of you, don't receive of it. Because if you receive of it unworthily, it's bad. It's bad for you. It's bad for Christ. It's a lie. It's saying we believe the same thing, we practice the same thing when we don't. That's the same reason that when Catholics go to another church, whether it's Episcopal Church or Methodist Church or Baptist Church or any other place, we are not permitted to receive communion either. Not because of their rules, but because of ours. But because, again, we don't believe the same thing. 
St. Paul said it today in our second reading. He said when we eat the body and eat the, and drink the blood, we become one in the Eucharist. We become one in Christ. We become one body. And how is it we can become one when we're not actually united? Holy Communion is a sign, a physical sign of our unity. And if we receive of it in a place where we're not actually in union, it's a falsehood. It's a disservice to what's actually taking place. And so Catholics, when we go to another place, another place of worship, we don't receive communion out of respect for their union as well as for ours. The second thing is that Catholics are to receive communion, but Catholics in a state of grace. A lot of times today we presume that, that sin is easy, easily kind of, sin just kind of fades away after a couple of weeks. We might not think of it as such, but practically that's kind of how it's treated. We associate sin with the bad feelings that accompany our sin. When we do something bad, we feel guilty, we feel ashamed, we feel upset with ourselves or with someone else or whatever the case may be. And it's easy for us to allow our sin to simply be our feelings. So when our feeling bad goes away, when we don't feel like we're separated from God anymore, our sin is washed away and we can receive communion again. But it's not the case. The state of grace is a continuous state. When one commits a mortal sin, a grave sin, we separate ourselves from God by our own free will. And the only way that reconciliation takes place is through confession. There's not a three-week limit after our sin by which we're automatically brought back into union with God. There's no timeline of the sort. And as much as we might like to think that confessing directly to God on our bedside is, is sufficient, honestly, it's not. The church has never said that. And so we make reconciliation in the sacraments to be able to receive our Lord in the Eucharist. If one is not in a state of grace, one should not receive Holy Communion. Again, because we profane the body of the Lord and we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. A serious thing. So if we're not in a state of grace, don't receive. Pause. Reflect. Pray. Make a good act of spiritual communion. Resolve to go to reconciliation soon. And allow your hearts to be united to Christ in that way. The last piece for us in receiving Holy Communion is that those who receive, those who are in a state of grace, are to have fasted from one hour before receiving Holy Communion. Fasting for one hour is kind of easy at this point. Some of you of a more experienced age may remember a time when the fast was for three hours before Mass or even for midnight. Uh, so that's why whenever it started at midnight and you didn't eat or drink anything until Mass, that's why you didn't have evening Masses. Nobody was crazy enough to wait until 6 p.m. that night to break the fast for Mass. So you, you had 5 a.m. Mass for a good reason. Somebody wanted biscuits and, and, and sausage, right? And so you had early Masses for that reason, but for us, it's only an hour-long fast, which is rather easy, especially on days like today when Father gets really excited in the pulpit and preaches for a good 20 solid minutes or so. If y'all eat anything walking in the front door today, I guarantee you, you'll be pretty much good, because by the time the Holy Communion come, comes around, it'll be 1030. Sorry, and you're welcome. Also on the similar point, Whenever we're receiving, whenever we receive communion, we, we wait for an hour basically to allow our, our stomach to get cleaned out 
so that we're not mixing our Lord with whatever it is that we happen to be receiving. But if we need to do something for medical reasons, the church understands. If you need a cough drop, take it. If you need to take medicine, take it. If it's between having low blood sugar and passing out in the pew or having a little bite of something sweet to be able to keep your blood sugar up so you can not pass out in the pew, please eat something. We'd rather not have people passing out in mass. That's not a fun thing, speaking from experience. But also, chewing gum. Chewing gum in church is no bueno. (laughs) And if you don't speak Spanish, that means it's no good. Chewing gum in church, one, because where often does the gum most frequently end up but under the pew? We know that. But even more so, my presumption that if someone is chewing gum in church, it means they're not Catholic and they're not receiving communion that day. Because if someone is Catholic and is receiving communion and they're chewing gum, then it shows me that they don't really understand what's taking place in Holy Communion. Because the Eucharist you receive is the body and blood of Jesus, which just mixed up with your Wrigley's chewing gum. And whenever you spit your gum out, whether it's on the highway, whether it's in the yard, whether it's in a trash can, you just threw the Eucharist there too. A serious thing. And so if you're chewing gum, set it aside. Spit it out before we come in, huh? A simple thing. And yet all of these little bitty things that can seem so kind of easily done and and thoughtlessly done, have great consequences. The Eucharist is serious stuff, not to be played with, but indeed to be honored. And so as we come to celebrate this Feast of Corpus Christi, where we honor the body and blood of Jesus, and at the end of Mass we'll have a moment of adoration as well, we ask the Lord to be with us, to be with us as he always is, to help us to see with the eyes of faith the mystery that we celebrate, the body and blood of Christ, to see it with our eyes in faith, and even more so to love him with the eyes in our heart.